um, that we have been forgiven of every past, present, and future sin as far as the east is from the west. And we thank you that because we've been declared innocent, that we've been adopted into your forever family. And God, I pray that, um, that um, you would just allow me to uh, represent you and your word well. I pray, God, that you would um, be honored and glorified, that uh, the saints here this morning would be edified and encouraged. And God, even though we're, we're, we've got a narrow subject like parenting, God, I pray that anybody that's here today that is yet to um, have a heart that has been uh, changed by your amazing grace, God, I pray that you would uh, change those hearts this morning for your glory. We love you. We thank you that we can come together and uh, make much of you here this morning. And God's people said, amen. amen. Well, today we're starting our uh, sermon series on parenting. It's a four-week sermon series, and it's called uh, Christian Parenting in the Secular World. And uh, we chose this series not necessarily because we saw um, a bunch of hellions in the church, parents out of control, uh, but because we saw families. We saw, as we looked around, um, and we saw who God has been bringing to this church, we really felt like we wanted to press into that a little bit. I know it's something I would have appreciated when my kids were still in the home. And one other thing, if, if you are without kids... Um, or without kids in the home anymore, I trust that this is going to be for you as well. Because uh, we're going to, for four weeks, we're going to make much of our risen Christ. And we're going to be reminded a lot, uh, even through the songs that we sing, of our Father um, who loves us and who adopted us. You know, preparing for this series, I asked my wife Nancy the other day, I said, do you remember back when we had kids in the home? And who invested in us? Who do you remember? What families came alongside us and really helped us in our parenting? And we really, um, we were at Mountain View in the early days, and kind of all along, we've been like right at the, the top as far as the oldest in the church. Like we are now, we were, even when this church started back in 2001, there wasn't many people that were older than us. And so there were really a lot of peers, but there weren't um, older people that had gone before us that we got to learn from. Other parents who were in the same boat with us, who were also trying to build this parenting plane in mid-flight, they, they actually brought us uh, great encouragement. It was good to wrestle through parenting struggles with them and to rejoice in little parenting victories with them. But when we look back on it, we could, we could have used some teaching and some um, encouragement and guidance from some older saints. You know, I was... Um, I made, I don't know if I made the mistake. I'm actually really, really glad I did it. But sometimes when the, the, the truth is hard, and as I've been uh, thinking through this, this parenting series, um, it's reminded me of two things, really. Um, what, first of all, it's reminded me of God's grace. That what you need to hear right up front, parents, particularly with kids in the home, is that God's grace always wins out. That God's grace always wins out. But the other thing that I've been reminded of is really um, what a, a lackey, and there's no false humility in this, what a lackey I was um, as a parent. You know, we just, just um, when Nancy and I have, have kidded a bit over the years that I was kind of the disciplinarian and she was the dispenser of grace. You know, I was more the law, she was grace. And um, you know, every once in a while I'd, I'd slide into that category of grace, but then it just wasn't befitting of me. So we just let her do that. 
Um, but we would said this, if I was a single parent, our kids would have all been in jail. If Nancy was a single parent, they would have all been homeless. And so the Lord just really used us together in our, in our different gifting to, um, to uh, bring him honor and glory, I think, in some crazy way. Um, what we learned, um, well, here's what I did. I'll read this to you. I actually emailed all three of my kids last week um, because I just really wanted to like, press in. It really uh, made me want to know if there was any unresolved um, issues. And, um, and I asked them these questions. I said, generally speaking, what did mom and I do well in parenting? And then I asked another question, what were some of the areas in our parenting that you still feel hurt by and wish our parenting could have been different? One of the primary things they said that actually um, answers both of those questions is they said that you, you and mom asked for forgiveness a lot. So that's good. But the fact that we had to ask for forgiveness a lot isn't necessarily good. Um, and they gave me some real um, good things to think about. And uh, I feel like I'm going to need to go to a couple of my kids and seek for their forgiveness, actually. Um, another one that I asked is, in what ways did we live out the gospel in our parenting? I asked, in what ways did we contradict the gospel or were hypocrites in our parenting? I asked them, did you feel loved unconditionally? Why or why not? Did we point you to Jesus on a regular basis? Now, I asked one question. I just felt led to ask just because of my own heart. I said, I said, do you feel like mom and I pushed you to participate and excel in certain activities because we found some type of false identity in having successful and high-achieving children? And I'm not going to share all the answers with you, but I can just tell you that um, that. As a result of what they put out, I'm reminded of God's grace, and I'm reminded of, uh, in many ways, what a failure I was as a dad. But I can tell you right now, uh, whatever mistakes you make, uh, that God's grace wins out every time. What Nancy and I learned as parents was primarily through books and videos that taught biblical principles for parenting. But you know what? The authors, surprise, surprise, weren't available when we had questions or we needed prayer. They weren't available to observe our parenting and to instruct us and encourage us in our parenting. So as pastors, we decided that since the Lord and His providence has brought so many of you to WCC, that we wanted to start a conversation. It's a four-week conversation that I, I pray it'll just be a starter. We're not going to be able to cover everything in four weeks. We're not going to be able to cover everything in the seminar. But we want to start a conversation with you all about Christian parenting in a secular world. And even though we had a pretty good idea of what you're struggling with, because we struggled with the same things, um, we put out a survey. Some of you answered the survey. There was 41 families that answered our survey. Um, it's been about two months now. And I want to just um, share with you some of the responses a majority of the uh, respondents have two to four children. 39% of the respondents had four children. Top fears, in order. Top fears as parents, that my child would not come to faith or that they would walk away from the faith. Fear number two, that I'm going to make mistakes and mess up. Fear number three, that I'm going to outlive my child. Next question. 
is we asked them how they would like to be better equipped. They said, I want to be, number one, be better equipped to shepherd the heart of my child and be able to balance grace and discipline. Number two, I want to be better equipped to lead my family spiritually, to be able to lead them in devotions and in God's word. And number three, worldly issues, how to protect them from the world. We asked, do you and your spouse agree to all aspects of parenting? Are you on the same page in all aspects of parenting? And 68% of those who were deceived and or lying uh, said, yes, uh, they agree on all aspects of parenting. And for the other 32% that were honest, they said, um, they said, these are the areas that we disagree on. We disagree on discipline. When and how to discipline. We're not on the same page. The other thing that we disagreed on, we disagree on, is protection. How and when to protect our kids. How much to protect them. We asked them further, what topics would you like covered in order of preferences? 90% of you said, um, I want to know how to balance grace and love and parenting. 88% said, I want to know how to better shepherd my child's heart. 85%, I want to protect my children from the world. How do I do that? Um, 65%, I need help in leading my family um, in the word. Um, 63%, um, when and how do I discipline? Um, 53%, how do we manage business in this crazy world? And 35% said, how do I lead my child to Christ? I would submit to you that that percentage should probably be higher and should be of utmost concern. So here's where we're headed uh, this month, is that today we're going to talk about the privilege and purpose of parenting. Um, Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the priority of God's grace in parenting. The third Sunday, we're going to talk about the purpose of the law in parenting. And then the fourth Sunday, we're going to talk about parenting for the long haul, which is really um, parenting adult children. What does that look like? After, After your kids are out of the house, how do you parent them? And also, there's going to be something for all of us, even as adults who still have parents that are living. How do we respond to them? What is our responsibility to them? And we have a seminar between the, as as Jason talked about, between the third and the fourth sermon. It's on March 2nd, Friday night, and Saturday, March 3rd. And it's going to be practical. It's going to be really practical. It's going to flush out the practical aspects of the principles, the biblical principles that were taught in the sermons. And then what you're going to come out of that seminar with is a parenting plan. Uh, There's going to be four sessions in that, and each session is going to build on the next, and and by God's grace, um, you will come out of that with a uh, plan to uh, parent your children. The the only ones that won't benefit from that are the 68% of you that um, are agreeing with your spouse on every aspect of parenting. So, um, what is the privilege of parenting? Psalm 127 tells us what the privilege of parenting is, that it's an immense privilege. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed or happy is the man or woman who fills his quiver with them. So I just say amen to that. Keep filling your quiver. Be happy in Jesus, but be happy because God is giving you kids. It's a great privilege. Let's talk about the purpose or the goal of parenting. And I'm going to interchange those words as we go through this. But before we do that, we've got to um, look at this one principle. And this principle is, is that if you don't know what you're aiming to achieve, you will never know for certain that you've achieved it. If you don't know what you're aiming at, how do you know if you're hitting it? 
And I would say, I know that sounds basic for a lot of us. I mean, we just kind of go through the motions of parenting and do the best we can. But there really should be a goal. There should be a purpose. And if you don't know what you're shooting for, how do you know if you have hit it? Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is probably the best parenting passage in the entire Bible. It's, it's the Great Commission. It's, we don't typically think of it as a, as a parenting verse, um, but it is a great parenting verse. These are Jesus' last words as documented by Matthew, and he said this. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and what? Make disciples of all nations, of all homes, of all children, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always until the end of the age. So the primary goal in parenting, uh, contrary to the world's commentary, is, um, is not to raise healthy, happy, successful, and functioning children. That's not the primary goal. It's good. It's, that's, there's nothing wrong with having happy, healthy, functioning, and successful children. That's a bonus. That's not the goal. That's not the primary purpose. The goal is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, teaching them, teaching your kids to obey or observe everything that Jesus commanded. So if making disciples is the purpose or goal, um, how do you measure success? It's a great question. How do you measure success? Probably not like you think. Success is simply faithfulness. Because at the end of the day, um, you don't have ultimate control on how your kids turn out. Only God does. Only God has that. He uses you as a tool or an agent of change by the power of the Holy Spirit, by His grace and His mercy. But you measure success by faithfulness. Successful parenting is not about achieving goals but about being usable and a faithful instrument in the hands of the one who alone is able to produce lasting fruit in your children. Here's another principle for you. Successful parents aren't perfect parents. Successful parents aren't perfect parents, but in our imperfections, we point our children to a perfect Savior, bless you, imperfectly. Successful parents aren't perfect parents, But in our imperfections, we point our children to a perfect Savior imperfectly. So let's take a look at at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. And this passage is given to the people of Israel generally and to families specifically. So this is really for us as a church body generally, but it's for you as parents and families specifically. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. What I want to emphasize right now is that they should be on your heart. The demand is for a heart that totally loves the Lord. You see, Deuteronomy, like like the rest of the Old Testament, anticipates the new covenant when God's words will be truly and effectively written on our heart. When our heart is no longer stone, but it's flesh. You see, this this passage here in verses 4 through 6 informs our strategy. And here's our strategy as parents. The strategy for making disciples is not merely a control of behavior. That's not the primary strategy. 
It's not to control behavior, but heart and life change. The strategy for making disciples is not merely control behavior, but heart and life change. And if you know this fact, and it is a fact, if you know this fact, it will alter the way you understand and interpret every other fact in parenting. If you understand that the strategy for making disciples is not about control of behavior, but life change, it will, it will inform every other aspect of parenting. You see, this passage here in Deuteronomy 4.6 is pointing to what Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel 36.26-27. Get this, this is the most amazing passage. The prophet says this, speaking for God, he says, And I will give you a new heart. I will put a spirit I'll put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit within you. And what does that spirit do? The spirit will cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey all my rules. We're going to talk about this a lot this morning, but actually your kids have no long-term ability to live in submission to God's good and perfect commands without a changed heart, without God's spirit. They can do it over the short run, and they should do it over the short run. But it's really a tutor to show them that they can't obey. This prophecy about Jesus in the Old Testament is there to remind us that lasting heart change is impossible apart from God's rescuing, forgiving, transforming, and delivering grace. You see, if rules and regulations could change our kids, Jesus would never have had to come. The only way that any human being can live in obedience to God's commands is through the power of the indwelling spirit. Listen to the parents' response in, in verse 20 through 21 in chapter 6. Listen to the parents' response when the child says, Hey, Dad, why, why do you live your life in submission to God? Why do you work so hard at obeying His commands? Here it is in verses 20 through 21. Whenever your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? What's behind all that? Why are you living in submission to that? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. What the dad is saying is, I can't help myself. I've been redeemed from slavery. Colossians 1, verse 11 through 14 says, or verses 13 and 14 says that we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's our motivation. That it, it doesn't gain us um, exodus from Egypt or from slavery. It's actually how we respond to the God who has delivered us or, or um, yeah, delivered us from slavery. As a parent, we need to remember that we are never, ever dealing just with the words and actions of our children. We're, all, we're always dealing with the thing that controls the words and behavior, which is what? It's the heart. It's the heart. And you know what? It's easy. It was easier for me as a parent, and it's easier for you for, as a parent to control behavior. It's, it's so much easier than shepherding the heart. And the behavior may last 18 years, actually. And you can, you can modify that behavior. 
but without a heart change, that behavior will not last. Listen to Jesus' words as documented by Mark in chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. And Jesus said this, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things are the world's doing. All these things come from other kids at school. All these things come from television and technology. No, all these evil things come from within. They defile a person. You see, you can shelter your kids from everything until Jesus comes back. But if their heart isn't changed, they're still going to want the things that you're sheltering them from. The disobedience that you deal with in your kids is not first a behavioral problem, it's a heart problem. Be- lasting change in the behavior of your children, and that's what we all long for, isn't it? Lasting change will, will always travel through the pathway of the heart. What your kids need is a heart transplant. And only God can give that to them. They need to experience hopelessness without Christ, actually. Do you ever think about that? There's a parenting strategy. Give your kids lack of hope. No, actually remind them that the only hope that you have is in Christ. That without Christ, um, this life is hopeless. Um, Why would there not be um, an epidemic of teenagers killing themselves around this country? What is there to live for? This life is hopeless without a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, the doorway to hope is hopelessness. And until your children begin to give up on themselves, give up on their wisdom, give up on their strength, give up on their righteousness, they will not cry out to God for mercy. Is there anybody in here besides me that wanted to protect their kids? We're called to protect our kids, are we not? In every way, spiritually protect them, physically protect them, emotionally protect them. We're called to protect our children. We do this because we love our kids. And we want to protect them from things that can harm them. But you know what? When our kids act up, when our kids um, do whatever our kids do, um, we excuse it. And here's some, here's some um, examples of how we excuse their behavior. And by the way, some of these I recognize are true excuses, partially. But at the end of the day, I want you to recognize and I want you to remember and I want you to um, just take this to the bank that, that um, behavioral change that lasts comes from the heart. Here it is right here, though. Uh, why do your children misbehave? These are some answers that parents have given. He must be tired. That's why he's misbehaving. It's the other girls at school that have led her astray. Nothing to do with her heart. It's the other girls at school. She just gets a bit hyper. His hormones are going crazy. He's just had too many video games this week. It's all the additives they put in children's food. It's just the way he is. Ah, excuse him. He's just hungry. He's just misunderstood. He's got ADHD. I blame the kids' parents. This is another excuse. 
These all, at some level, might be legitimate reasons for some level of misbehavior. But if you keep excusing your child's behavior to all of these things, you're going to take away from him the, or her the opportunity to press in to the only one that can change his or her heart for the long haul. In parenting, we can forget that there's no more harmful thing in a child's life than his own sin. And to be made aware of it and its power to destroy is a good and loving thing. Do you talk to your kids about sin? I don't know. I'm actually not sure what the right age is. I'm pretty sure it's not in the delivery room. And I'm pretty sure that wait until 18 is too late. The Lord will lead you there. But sooner rather than later, you need to let them know how much you love them and you love them unconditionally. And there's nothing more than you want for them than a new heart. Salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us again and again that the greatest danger to us in our children's lives is not what's in the schools, it's not what's in the White House, it's not what's on TV, it's not what's in the computer. At some level, those are all scary, but it's what's inside them. It's what's inside them, not outside of them. You know, for me, when I looked at my kids' uh, emails back to me, and they were very gracious. At the same time, they were, they were very honest. And when I look back, I parented for short-term gain. I really, that's, for, for me, I, I would just, I would be more prone just to tell them to be quiet, keep it down, rather than to enjoy them and to um, let them be kids at some level. Give them the, maybe the why behind I want them to pipe down. I think we all tend to be better at changing behavior than we are changing the heart. When I would operate with legalism and telling them to do this and do that without any why, you know what it did? It actually created an environment of a lack of trust. I gave the what without the why, and it's easier to demand obedience with no explanation rather than take the time to explain it. A lady walked out of here earlier, and she goes, you know what my dad used to tell me when I asked her why? When I asked my dad why, and, he, and I said, I know what he said, because I got the same thing, and, and I think I said the same thing to my kids, because I said so. Don't do that, parents. Don't do that, actually. Maybe there's a time, if, they're, if the kids are defiant, and it's time and time again. But tell them the reason behind it. Shepherd their heart. I was thinking about a time, and I've got a whole list of these, and I'll just share one with you, that when, when we operate with legalism, we operate with the law without grace, we create an environment that, that lacks uh, trust. And I don't know if you have you ever been deceived by somebody you love, maybe by a child, maybe by a spouse or whatever. Um, I was just, this is kind of a funny story, but it really is a good illustration. So we were in the Czech Republic in 2001. And uh, my kids, Natalie, Mitch, and Joey, they, they called Nancy and I into the chapel in Satine, actually. And, um, and they said, we've got something to tell you and show you. And Natalie lifts up her little shirt halfway above her belly button, and she's got a pierced belly button. She's 15, Mitch is 13, I think Joey would have been 
I don't know, was that nine or whatever? And, and I was just so, I was so sad. I mean, I, I, it brought me to tears, not because she got a pierced belly button, but that I had created such an environment that she couldn't ask for my permission. That she was afraid of the response. She was afraid, she was afraid that there wouldn't be a conversation that I would just lay down the law. And laying down the law without shepherding the heart creates environments of lack of trust and your kids will figure out ways to live out rebellion rather than processing um, their decisions with you ahead of time. Here's something else that we do as parents. We operate with fear, shame, and reward. Kids crying on the floor, tantrum. You say, I'll give you something to cry about. You ever done that before? Shame. After all that I've done for you, are you going to treat mom and dad that way? Shame. Rewards. Parents, don't reward your kids. Don't reward your kids for... Um, I don't even know if they're the pastors agree with me on this. So I'll ask for permission later. But don't reward your kids for for getting A's and B's. Don't reward your kids for doing things that you ask them to do. Teach them to do it. Teach them that, that God has created them in a unique way, and that he's given them gifts, and that they are to steward those gifts to do the best they can. Not to get some reward. Don't bargain with your kids. That's controlling their behavior rather than shepherding their heart. So how do we live this out? Verse 7, chapter 6 tells us. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down when you rise. You see, we need to be reminded of the impossibility of our kids to obey God's commands without a new heart. You see, the law doesn't do a very good job of exposing our child's sin, but it Actually, excuse me, it, has, it does a great job of exposing our kids' sin. But it has no power whatsoever to deliver our child from it. The law has no ability to rescue your child from the power of sin's grip. The law has no ability to give your child a new heart. The law has no ability to create the lasting change in your child that every parent longs for. The law cannot and will not rescue, redeem, and restore your child. But that's exactly what every child needs. So if you and I as parents are going to be a tool of change in God's hands in the lives of your children, we need more than God's law in our personal parenting toolbox. We need his law. It's a tutor. It helps your kids know that they can't fulfill it, that they can't live it out without a new heart. You see, yours and my primary tool in our parenting toolbox is actually yours and my need for a changed heart. In a heart that is remembering our salvation and deliverance from slavery. And as a result, that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. Let me say it again. Our primary tool is our changed heart. And we do this by teaching with words and actions. In verse 7, it says that we, we talk of them when we sit in. Sit in our house when we walk by the way, when we lie down, and when we rise. It's, there's two pairs or opposites. When we sit and walk, when we lie down and rise, it's suggesting that any and every time, any and every place, any and every activity, we're teaching. We're pointing them to the one that can save them. 
that can give them a heart of flesh instead of heart of stone. You see, we live our love for God and we teach our children. I hate it when my notes don't make sense. Here it is. At creation, our children were designed to have perfect parents. And as parents, we were designed to have perfect children. And when we don't have perfect children, and your children have perfect parents, both sides get disappointed. That's a false expectation, actually. The biggest issue in parenting isn't our child's heart. It isn't your children's heart. It's your heart. You see, you and I need much more than just rescue from our children. We need rescue from ourselves. Getting to the heart of your child begins by looking at your own heart. Your children need to know and see a joyful, transparent, broken, and humble mom and dad. They don't need to see parents in control. Although you are in control and you should be in control. They need to see humble transparent, broken, joyful parents. You see, if we're not looking at our own hearts as parents, we'll turn moments of ministry into moments of anger. We will personalize our children's misbehavior. They will become adversaries and we'll become adversaries to them. And we will settle for quick temporary solutions that do not change the heart. You see, there's nobody that gives grace more effectively than a parent who humbly admits that he or she is desperately in need of that grace herself or himself. When we blow it, how do you respond? When you get pulled over and get a ticket, kids in the car, how do you respond? When finances are a little bit tight, how do you respond? Do you humbly own the rebellion of your own heart as you deal with the rebellion of your children's heart? Do you humbly own the rebellion of your own heart as you deal with the rebellion of your children's heart in a way that causes you to exercise authority with humility, patience, and grace? So the biggest ongoing problem for you and the biggest ongoing problem for me is not your children. It's you. It's me. Your children don't cause you to do and say things. The cause of your actions is found inside your own heart. Your children are simply the occasion where your heart reveals itself in words and actions. So you need much more than just a rescue and relief from your children. You need rescue from you. This is why Jesus came, to, to provide us with the rescue that we all need, but that we cannot provide for ourselves. You see, our daily need for God's rescue and forgiveness is just as great as our children's. Do you believe that? Do you acknowledge that to your kids? That you're just as much in need of God's grace as they are? You see, friends, if you want to be God's tool of heart rescue and heart change in the lives of your children... You have to be humble and willing to start with your own heart. Parenting is not about exercising power for the change in your children. Parenting is about your humble faithfulness and being willing to participate in God's work of change for the sake of your children. 
Here's what we need to understand, that God has given you and I authority as parents. He's given it to you. He's given it to us for the work of change. We've been given that authority for the work of change. But he's not granted you the power to make that change happen. And if you think that your kids are changing just because you're controlling their behavior, you've got false hope. At the end of the day, you need to make sure, we need to make sure, we need to beg the sovereign God. We need to beg our loving Savior to change the heart of our kids. You can't create change in your child. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we talked about this, that, that this verse is probably the best parenting verse in the entire Bible where it says that we're to go and make disciples, teaching them to observe or obey everything that Jesus commanded, everything in God's word. But there are, there are two bookends to that verse that are, are really helpful to us in our parenting, I believe. And the first one is, it says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That he's sending you out to make disciples in your home with his power. And on the other book, and it says, Behold, I'm with you always until the end of the age. He's always with you. He'll never leave you to do it in your own power by yourself. So I'd encourage you to be aware of God's power. Be aware of his presence. And he's there with you. Rest in and celebrate his power and his presence. And go and do what you've been chosen to do with courage and hope because he has given you that power. And he is with you always until the end of the age. Or until your kids turn 18 and get out of the house. Have you ever heard the saying that practice makes perfect? It's a good principle, actually. In sports and in music and business. Actually, there's a better saying that says that perfect practice makes perfect. Dr. Larry Bird. Perfect practice makes perfect. But it is, it is um, exasperating, and it is a complete uh, fallacy in parenting, actually. 2 Corinthians 12, chapter, uh, verse 9, Paul says this, and this is where Paul had the thorn in his flesh. We're not quite sure what it was, but it was, it was a thorn in his flesh. It was a trial. And he asked Jesus to take it away from him. I asked him three times. He begged him, and he implored him, and, and this is what God said. He says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says that these words are actually the secret to Christ's perfect power. Wouldn't you love to have Christ's perfect power in your parenting? Wouldn't you also love for your children to have Christ's perfecting power? What did God offer Christ's perfect power in exchange for? Our weakness. Our weakness. His power is perfected in our weakness. And it's when we acknowledge our weakness, it's when his power is manifest in our parenting. You know what? It's not our weaknesses that you should fear. It's the delusion of your strength as parents that you should fear. It really is true that good, godly, transformative parenting grows best in the soil of God's powerful grace. And we need to remember that the results aren't up to us. We don't have the power to change the heart. And I want to close with this. And it's our identity. Chris prayed this. I think Jason talked about it. We sang about it. I love it when the Lord works that way. But we're a parent out of our identity, not for our identity. 
What defines you and I as Christian parents, what gives us your identity is not your role as parents, not mom, not dad, not husband, not wife. Those are amazing roles. We should be thankful for them, but it isn't what defines us. If you're not resting as a parent in your identity in Christ and as a son or daughter of your heavenly father, you'll find false identity in your children's successes and failures. When they fail, you're going to feel like a failure. When they succeed, you're going to feel like a success. Now, we should certainly grieve their failures. We should certainly rejoice in their successes. But it doesn't, none of that defines you. The simple principle will have you parenting the behavior if we have identity in our kids more than shepherding the heart. This means that in every moment when you're parenting, you're being parented. That God's your father. And he parents us so that with, with unconditional love so that we can parent our kids. In every moment when you are called to give grace, you're being given grace. In every moment when you are rescuing and protecting your children, you're being rescued and protected. In every moment when you feel alone, you're anything but alone because he goes with you wherever you go. You see, brothers and sisters, your defiant teenager doesn't change your status. Your anger with your lying teenager hasn't washed your status away. The subsequent strain on your marriage hasn't disqualified you as a son or daughter. For Christians, Jesus gives us our identity. He is who you are. You need to Get, you need to relax a little bit because you're not identified by your teenager's behavior. You can take a breath because you are not the sum of the positives and you're not the sum of the negatives during this season of family life. Sure, you need to attend to things responsibly, but you need not despair. Because if you are in Christ, if you are in the grip of a good and sovereign God who loves you and loves your children more than you do, he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. You see, the amazing thing that often happens with our families when we take our identity in Christ seriously is that we parent the heart, not the behavior. When we begin to rest in this truth about ourselves, we take some of the burden from our kids. Because when we're controlling behavior, not shepherding the heart, it's exasperating for our kids. They don't know what the, they don't know what they what we want what they want us to do. When we trust, we already have all we need in Jesus. We shed our need for them to get their act together, and this lifts a great weight off our children's shoulders and gives them a space they need to get their act together. Disciplinary consequences often become more about formation and less about retaliation. I can remember clearly like it was yesterday, um, disciplining my kids out of anger, actually. We should never do that. I remember another time when Nancy would save the spanking for me, and I would use a leather strap, and I'd have them lay over the bathtub. One time, Joey was going to get spanked. And, um, and this time I wanted to do it on the bare bottom. So I asked him to pull his little Batman undies down. He pulled them down, and right behind Batman was Superman undies. I asked him to take Superman down, and there was Spider-Man again. <laughs> and you know what? It was so creative. I just, I just laughed. I prayed with them, and I said, Buddy, I don't like spanking you, 
but that was the most creative way of getting out of a spanking I've ever experienced. <laughs> you see, folks, disciplinary consequences often become more about formation and less about retaliation. Your kids are going to blow it. They're going to they're grow horns, scales in their back, fangs in their mouth, and they're going to take your loving heart out of your chest, and they're going to stomp on it. You have the underlying assurance of your Savior's abiding grace no matter what happens. Remember the one to whom you are intimately and eternally united was also treated terribly by the ones who should have loved him. God loves your children and your grandchildren infinitely more than you do or will ever do. So we cannot parent to gain anything but because we have already been given everything. And brothers and sisters, before I pray, I want to remind you, God's grace wins out. That, that your mistakes in parenting cannot undo what God wants to do in your kids. But he's given you and I the great privilege of being his chosen and primary instrument to shape and mold the hearts of your children. So that it's fertile soil to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're called to faithfulness. That's success. While you remember your great deliverance and while you're allowing God's strength to perfect you in all of your weaknesses. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. Um, God, I, um, I pray that any areas that um, I might have brought offense to your word, God, I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would um, just even edit that right now. And I pray, God, that... Um, that, that just uh, drinking from your word this morning and being reminded of your eternal, enduring love for your children would motivate us to want to bring uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to our kids, that we would be more about heart change in our children than we are about success, whatever that looks like in the world's eyes. So God, I pray that you would give us uh, wisdom together as a church family and also as the individual families here, how to, um, how to raise our children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord for your glory and for their good. And God's people say, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close our service together. Reflecting on what we just heard, looking at God's word, reflecting on who our father is, how deep his love is for us. And as we're parenting, we're always being parented by him. Let's, let's sing. <laughs> Yeah.
shoulders with a lot of the young parents in this body. I mean, just, I don't want to take anything that God's Spirit wants to do in this morning. I just want to encourage you to listen to that. But I see a bunch of families that really want to honor the Lord in their parenting. And it is just such a privilege to be a part of this body and to, um, to even like come alongside some of you and hopefully that you won't make some of the same mistakes that I made. But even if you do, God's grace is bigger than that. And we talk here a lot about our, um, our passion that all people come to know Jesus, have a relationship with him, and that they would grow in the relationship with him and they go and tell others. And it just kind of dawned on me, it's really nothing revolutionary, but there's, on a typical Sunday morning, there's you know, 110 to 130 kids that are in the nursery, water room, and upstairs. And making disciples starts right in your home and right in this church. 
And what a great place to start in making little disciples who grow in the fear and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and go tell others. I want to leave you with this prayer and then uh, just encourage you to go out and enjoy what you've been redeemed to. And that's a relationship with our Heavenly Father. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. That's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might in your parenting for all endurance, difficult situations, and patience, difficult people, kids, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and He has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's good news. Go and have a great week.